The Sunday Review with Tim Graham. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of The Sunday Review. Will Pearson from Ocean Bottle tells us about their campaign for more water refill stations across the UK. Former Big Brother winner and builder Craig Phillips is here to explain how we can make our homes more energy efficient. And Adam Streeter from Leonardsley Lakes and Gardens has details on their Easter hide and sheep trail. Paul Tolmy will be finding out about the latest show from the Pitchy Breath Theatre Company from producer Lauren Fielding. He'll also be chatting to military magician Richard Jones about his new show that's coming to the Chequermead in East Grinstead. And Carrie Overton finds out about how your blood could reveal why you're chronically fatigued from nutrition and well-being expert Jamie Perry. All coming up in this edition. Two-thirds of people would be more likely to carry a reusable bottle if there were more drinking fountains in the UK. That's according to a new poll commissioned by Ocean Bottle. Their co-founder, Will Pearson, joins me now with more details on their new campaign for more water refill stations in public places. Will, thanks for joining me. Now, according to the research that you've carried out, three-quarters of us can go a whole day when we're out without seeing a water fountain. So how does the lack of these refill stations affect the use of reusable water bottles in the UK? Hi, Tim. Well, look, it's, first, first and foremost, it's great to be here, and, and thanks for having me on, on the show. Um, so as I say, yeah, my, my name's uh, Will. Um, I'm 28 years old, and I, I started Ocean Bottle a couple of years ago. Um, so just a kind of quick introduction to who we are is, is really we enable individuals to, to make a global impact on the ocean plastic crisis, and we do that with the help of a reusable bottle um, that we developed, which funds collection equivalent to a thousand plastic bottles in weight. Now, when we um, started the company, you know, obviously we wanted people to be able to use our products every single day um, to refill out and about on the go. Um, and unfortunately, th this kind of severe lack of, of actual refill stations around um, the country, but also you know other, other places around the world means that it's really hard for people actually to say no to that single-use plastic bottle. Um, and they're basically forced to have, to have to go and buy water that's, that's wrapped in plastic, which you know, we think is, is an outrage, um, particularly for one of the wettest countries in the world, um, that you can't you know, find a place to, to refill nearby wherever you are. So as a result, we're all buying a lot of single-use plastic water bottles. What effect is this having on the environment? So, well, it's, it's having a multitude of, of effects, actually. Um, so not only is it, you know, impacting your own wallet, um, in the UK, on average, we buy about 150 plastic bottles a year uh, per person. Uh, that can be higher or, or lower. Um, a lot of those plastic bottles uh, don't end up getting recycled. Um, they have a much higher uh, carbon impact than um, if you were to just fill up your reusable bottle. Um, in fact, it's almost 100 times worse from a, a climate emissions perspective. And, uh, yeah, and it's you know, creating all this, all this unnecessary waste, billions of plastic bottles a year, um, that most of which, or a lot of them, just end up in a landfill. Now, you've launched a campaign to try and tackle this issue. Can you tell us a bit more about what you're hoping to achieve? So we're really hoping that, um, you know, the, the local authorities actually do something about this. You know, they, they really have um, the power to actually make a difference. Uh, so what we're, what we're hoping to see is installation of, of refill fountains all across the UK. Uh, we have water that's safe to drink. Uh, there's plenty of suppliers uh, that exist that can actually refrigerate and also filter water so it's, it actually tastes better than uh, mineral water in, in many ways. Um, and yeah, so we're hoping for a network of fountains to be installed across the UK, you know, just like we used to have a post box on every single corner. Um, why can't we have somewhere to, to refill water, um, which, you know, should be uh, a basic right for any, any citizen in the UK? How can individuals, and perhaps some of them are involved with small businesses or local authorities, get involved in the campaign and help reduce plastic waste and increase access to these refill stations and water fountains? Well, we are launching a uh, petition. Um, this will be a way for people to really you know, push for this to actually happen, at both in their local um, councils, but also 
across the whole of the UK. Um, so yeah, do look out for that. I mean, head, head to our website, which is oceanbostle.co, and you'll see uh, our campaign going live there, as well as other information on, on you know, what we do as a, as a company. That's great. Will, thanks so much for chatting with me today, and good luck with the campaign. Tim, thank you so much. If you'd like to find out more about how you can get involved in the campaign for more water fountains and refill stations and help prevent unnecessary plastic waste, visit oceanbottle.co. That's oceanbottle.co. We'll post a link on Twitter at SundayReview107 and on facebook.com forward slash SundayReview107. New research from mortgage lender Halifax has shown that one in five of us are now making home improvements to boost energy efficiency in our homes. And in a bid to keep costs down, we're doing much of the renovation ourselves. To tell us more, I'm joined by Kim Kinnaid from Halifax and legendary renovator, builder of his own energy-efficient home and winner of the original big brother, Craig Phillips. Welcome to the show, both of you. Craig, if I can start with you... What inspired you to build your own energy-efficient home in the first place? Well, I've always wanted to build my own home, Tim, for probably 20, 25 years. I've been in the building industry for 33, built many homes for other people before, but never been able to actually build my own home. And then five or six years ago, Laura and I started to design it. We got our planning consent through, and then we started to build it. But at that point, you know, home efficiency, energy efficiency was at the forefront of our minds. The house that we've built is a little bit different. It's got 18 corners, so the size and shape of it is different than your average house. So it was very important for us to get the materials right so it performs correctly and it's inexpensive to run. So it was a great journey. I really enjoyed doing it. Uh, and, you know, now we're faced with, you know, energy bills rising, you know, the last 12 months, the, 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 the crush that everybody's had. Uh, with their finances has made us having to look at our homes a little bit closer and how well do they perform and how much changes can we make. So we were lucky enough to do all them changes in the build of it. But now we've teamed up with Halifax to try and support people and give people advice on how they can retrofit their home to make it perform better. So just on that subject, with many people taking on home improvement projects themselves, what are some of the common mistakes people make when it comes to energy efficiency and how can they avoid them? Uh, yeah, I think it's more educating themselves about what home they live in, what materials is used to build it and what insulation is in there at the moment. Now, there's a couple of ways. Most people are aware of an, uh, an energy performance certificate, which will give you some information on that. Uh, Halifax have a link on their website to how green is your home. Now, I went on this last night and I typed in my own details of the house, only a postcode and bits and pieces, and it asks you a lot of questions about the, the envelope of your building. And, and then at the end of it, it gives you alter, alternatives of how you can improve the energy performance and what changes you can make and what sort of costs that that's going to be as well. So I think anyone starting out who are concerned, which I think most people are concerned about, how their house is performing at the moment is just that's the perfect starting point. And then if they're wanting to do things themselves, you know, I want to point them in directions of starting off small when it comes to DIY, putting draft excluders on doors, windows, letterboxes, filling in any little gaps around pipe work from underneath the sink and the bathroom where cold air can be racing into the house and warm air escaping, you know. So there's all little small tips like that which anybody can do themselves changing light bulbs to energy efficient ones, turning down their boilers, etc. It makes little changes like that can make a big, big difference. But if people are thinking more, a lot more long term as well and what investments they can make on their house, it's things like double glazed windows, uh, new loft insulation. They might have old loft insulation in the house that deteriorated over 20, 30 years and it's not performing like it should do. So it's upgrading them things. And then the real big investment, long-term ones, which people are getting advances on their mortgages for, is for putting things in like ground source heat pumps and air source pumps, you know, which again, can make a really big difference over a long period of time. Now, you mentioned there some of the simple things we can do. I guess for people who are on a tight budget, are they also affordable ways to make our homes more energy efficient? Absolutely, yeah. Just a couple of them are a moment, mentioned a moment ago. They can be done for under hundreds of pounds, but can make a big difference to your energy consumption, you know. And then there's the mediocre ones where people are taking up their carpets and putting a new underlay down there, you know, which again, it's a DIY job. 
not that expensive, but the new underlay and the new materials we can buy nowadays perform better. Even putting them, um, you know, thicker curtains up or, you know, blackout curtains on the back of their existing ones. A couple of our neighbours in the road, I only spoke to them recently in the, in the wintertime, and they put curtains up on the back of their front and back door in the wintertime, and that helped them save that little bit of energy. So they needn't have to be expensive, but what we do want, want people to know as well is there is some financial support there. And again, on Halifax's website, it points you in the directions where you can potentially get some grants, government grants, another help um, on your mortgages to be able to afford these type of items and spread the costs over a certain time. Now, you mentioned earlier things like ground source heat pumps. Are there any energy efficient technologies or trends that you're particularly excited about right now? I'm ex excited about it all, really. I, I've always been a carer of the environment, being a, a, a father now with two young children. You know, I'm trying to teach, they're only two and four, but I'm trying to teach them how to recycle, how important it is to turn the telly and the electric off. So, you know, I'm thinking about their future long term. So anything new technology now with ground source heat pumps and air source pumps, they're two things I haven't got on, on our house. Um, but if I ever, and a little hint here, if I ever build another energy efficient house it will be literally um it, it will will be full board you know i will have the ground source heat pumps in because i find it fascinating that there's a, a level of a temperature in the core of our earth or even just lower than our house that we can dig into fit pipes down there and that can generate natural heat without having to use your uh, gas to heat the water up you know to pump your underfloor heating so I, I'm moving with the times. I like to go to a lot of the trade shows and see what new materials and technology there is coming out because uh, I, I do find it fascinating. Fantastic. Now, Kim, as a mortgage lender, was there anything that surprised you about the results of the research? Um, less surprised. I think what it has shown, though, is um, things like the cost of living impacts that we're seeing are definitely focusing people's minds. So as you said at, at the top of the, the conversation, you know, uh, just over a fifth of people are now making changes and improvements to improve energy efficiency. And we also know about one in 10 people are spending anywhere between about 100 to 500 pounds a month on home maintenance. Um, and just under a fifth uh, are wanting to make home improvements because they want to make their homes greener. So you can see it's definitely becoming more of a focus. Cost of living is, is certainly a focusing mind. But also if I think about you know where we were a number of years ago and Craig and I had this conversation earlier, you know, people were spending money and taking out additional advances on their mortgages because they were wanting to put an extension on, because they were wanting to refit their bathrooms, make home improvements. Now you're seeing a lot of people uh, wanting to take out that lending to support the fact that they can retrofit their homes, they can make them more efficient, they can perform better, whether that be because it's about helping them with their bills, but also for many it's about that greening uh, opportunity because of the, the impact of the environment that we know our housing stock has in this country. Now, Craig touched on some of these earlier, but I understand Halifax offer a range of financial support and advice to help homeowners put their green plans into action. Can you tell us a bit more about what's available? Yeah, so, so I think that there's two things I would call out. Firstly, is the, the advice and the support, and then secondly, the financing. So uh, Craig mentioned a, a tool, the home energy saving tool. I'm, I'm really proud of this. I think it's a fantastic tool for anybody to use. It's, it's accessed on our public website where we've teamed up with the Energy Savings Trust to provide customers with that insight. Because half of the challenge here is you don't know what you don't know and actually empowering people that they can understand where the opportunities are, they understand their home and where they can make changes is really important. So by using that tool, that's a great opportunity to get you started, to get you with that tailored plan that you can then decide what you might want to take forward. And it, you know, it's from the very small things up to the, the much larger uh, much larger investments. I've used it myself and I found it really helpful when we were thinking about our house. I live in, a, in an older home and therefore I need to think about those sort of retrofit opportunities. Um, but then when it comes to um, financial support, that there is absolutely support out there. At the Halifax, we have the Green Living Awards that offers cash back to borrowers financing a range of energy efficiency, home improvements, including their insulation, heat pumps, double glazing, solar, uh, and also battery storage, which is obviously a more recent development with solar PV. And we've also recently teamed up with Octopus Energy 
need today. So Halifax homeowners looking to replace or upgrade their existing central heating boiler, they can make their home more energy efficient as part of this scheme where Octopus Energy can use the mortgage borrowing to finance the installation of a new heat pump. And that's clearly something that is growing in, in popularity as people are thinking about that energy efficiency. And then also I would say um, there's opportunity for you to kind of learn more and access more support via government schemes and, and grants. Depending where you live in the UK, there are there are other opportunities to, to seek support as well. And I would always recommend people to kind of do their homework, uh, look on those, um, those free resources and, and see what's available. That's great. Kim, Craig, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Tim. For more information on how you can make small differences in your home to help save money and the planet, visit halifax.co.uk and search for Green Living. That's halifax.co.uk and search for Green Living. We'll post a direct link on Twitter at SundayReview107 and on facebook.com forward slash SundayReview107. If you're looking for something to do this half-term, Leonardsley Lakes and Gardens are hosting Hide and Sheep, an Easter trail bringing to life the much-loved family favourite TV character, Sean the Sheep. Norman Wong spoke to estate manager at Leonardsley, Adam Streeter, to find out more. Before we talk about the attraction Hide and Sheep, can you tell us a little bit about Leonardsley Lakes and Gardens? Yeah, I mean, the garden's got a really sort of um, amazing history and sort of myself and my family have been involved for about the last six years. Prior to that, the garden's been closed for, for nine years. And prior to that, it had been known as one of the finest woodland gardens in the UK. And it's just, a, it's really an, an amazing place. It's sort of set over 240 acres. It's kind of, you get lost into a bit of an, another world and so much to see in terms of the, the plants, the lakes. I mean, it's got some of the finest sort of rhododendron collections, camellia collections in the world. I mean, we, we actually just won some first place medals in the RHS competition for rhododendron. So, you know, really a, a kind of a world-renowned gardens, but also just a beautiful place to come. It sounds really pretty there. Can you tell us exactly what is Hide and Sheep? Yeah, it's a, it's a little bit on the other side of things, though, you know, where we've got the kind of the history and the gardening horticultural side of things. We also, you know, we try to make it something for everyone to come and visit. This is obviously aimed at more of the kids and it's a sort of a, an Easter trail that we've put on and it's all around Shaun the Sheep. It's a quite a cool one. You, you download uh, um, the Shaun the Sheep hide and sheep trail onto your phone and you go around the garden. You find the, the kind of the, the sheep and you, you scan with your phone and it all comes to life. It's all augmented reality. So it's kind of mixing the sort of traditional gardens and bringing it into the 21st century. So. Yeah, that's something. It's all included with um, day tickets and, with, and free for members. And I mean, yeah, I'm here at the moment and there's lots of happy faces running around. You mentioned the attraction is censored for children. So is it, a, is it is the attraction a suitable for all age groups? No, well, no, absolutely. I mean, and it's I wouldn't even just say children, to be honest. I mean, we've, yeah, we've had people come in today with babies strapped to their chest. And I think that's just, you know, obviously they're not going to get too involved. But I think the visuals are quite kind of keep them entertained. And then even up to adults of all ages have also been going off and uh, taking their mats and going and we were um, on top of that we've got some workshops going on so i'm actually just looking in at the moment and we've got a sean the sheep bottling workshop and i think we've got about 50 60 people in there and again that is probably ages ranging over about 70 years so yeah definitely something for everyone so it sounds like something for all the family will it be suitable for families who bring along pushchairs yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've we've tried to put the trail so that it kind of covers as much of the estate so you can see lots of areas. We are in uh, situated in a, a valley, so, you know, there's half the trails on the top parts, and then the second part is down going into the, the bottom parts down by the lakes. But we put in lots of pathways, so it's all quite accessible. And for those that sort of don't necessarily want to do the, the hills, we have a, a buggy shuttle service, which is run by our volunteers. And yeah, they, they take the hills out, which is always a nice thing. The event is running until the 23rd of April. So uh, is the gardens open seven days a week? Yep, seven days a week, nine till five. Only day we close is Christmas Day. Yeah, we, we, we've got lots of members that sort of take advantage of that. And, it's, you know, the gardens change so much uh, throughout the season. So coming into spring now, it's been amazing because everything's just coming into life. So there's you know, just tens of thousands of daffodils at the moment. And every day there seems to be something else coming into flower. And, you know, with that, it's just bringing, you know, more people. So it just 
yeah, it's nice. After the sort of miserable winter, it's sort of nice to have everything coming back to life a bit. How much time would you suggest people allot for the visit to the gardens, especially with the hide and sheep Easter trail? Yeah, I mean, e- easily half a day. It, the, there is so much to see. So we've got lots of kind of little hidden treasures as well. So we've got our kind of miniature world, which is basically a, a Victorian scene so it's like a doll's house museum and it's 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 kind of something that doesn't sound as incredible as as until you actually see it and then it's all creates different scenes of what it used to be like in the victorian times of how this estate would have been and it's down to the most minute detail of incredible craftsmanship that alone you could spend a couple of hours looking at you know the gardens like i said are 240 acres so well i've been living here for a you know, five years now, and I still don't get bored of walking around every day. There's always, always something happening, always something changing. But you know, on, on average, I'd say you know, easily a half a day is a, is a nice day out. If visitors want to spend half a day with you, is there food and refreshments available on site? Ah, uh, yeah, absolutely. Sort of have a, a, a wide range. So we have our our cafe, which does sort of uh, general sandwiches, tea, cakes, scones, tea, coffee things like that. We do picnics from there as well. During our kind of busier season, so now at the moment we have kind of a, a street food vendor as well that does all lots of nice different hot dishes. Then going up to the sort of, you know, taking things to another level in the in the mansion house, we have our afternoon teas, which are, you know, really up there with the very best in, in the world, I'd say. Kind of something like the Ritz said in, in Leonard's Lee. And then at night, we have our Michelin-style restaurant, Interlude, which does a 20-course a tasting menu. So pretty much, you know, anything from a tea through to uh, Michelin-style food. So, yeah, definitely try and get something for everyone. Well, it does sound like that there is food there for every sort of taste and probably every budget. What is the ticket price for the Easter Trail Hide and Sheep? So for the adults, it's £14.50. Kids over five, it's £6.50. After that, there's obviously the membership. So we say, you know, really, if you if you were going to come three times in a year, we always recommend to get a membership just because it works out much better that way. Uh, you get discounts on food and drink and hit the shop and an event. You know, that's we tend to be sort of see in the afternoon. Most people that come in on a day ticket then come and upgrade it and, and get their money back for their day ticket and upgrade it to a membership because, yeah, it's quite easy to spend quite a few days here over the course of the year. So for any of our listeners who may have never been over to the gardens, where are you exactly located? Uh, so we're in Lower Beeding, just outside of Horsham in West Sussex, kind of not too far off the M23, about sort of 10 minutes off the M23. It's on the Brighton Road and pretty well signposted. But yeah, you know, nowadays, smartphones, Google Maps, things like that, pretty easy to find us. Our website's lenersleygardens.co.uk. And uh, yeah, I think that gives sort of all the information you'd need. Yeah, so if any of our listeners wanted any more information, to visit your website would be a good thing to do, I would imagine. Yeah, absolutely. And so following our, our Facebook and our Instagram pages as well, because keep everything up to date on there. So daily posting about all of the bits and pieces going on. So that's probably the, the quickest and easiest way to keep up to date. It sounds like it's a lot of fun to see the the attraction hide and sheep, but even just to sample the gardens and absorb the beautiful uh, horticultural aspects of the gardens it sounds like it's a fun day out and a great day out so adam thank you for joining me today i hope to see you over there yeah no, thank you very much and uh, yeah, i look forward to seeing you come do some uh, hide and sheep and as a reminder the hide and sheep trail runs until the 23rd of april for more details on that and everything else that's going on at leonardsley visit leonardsleygardens.co.uk that's leonardsleygardens.co.uk We'll post a link on Twitter at SundayReview107 and on Facebook.com forward slash SundayReview107. On his mid-morning show this week, Paul Tolmy caught up with Lauren Fielding, producer of Home, the latest show from Pitchy Breath, a theatre company based at the Hawth in Crawley. Lauren took a break from rehearsals to tell Paul all about it. It's a project that's been in the works for a while, uh, Pitchy Breath uh kind of known for their shorts, evening of shorts format, and it's something that we wanted to revisit. Um, we haven't done one in about four years now, sort of pre, pre-COVID. Um, so we knew we wanted to do something that would engage the local community, would involve a lot of people, um, and something that would present a lot of opportunities um, with writing, directing, or performing. Um, so yeah, it, it really came down to picking a theme we like an overall theme to sort of help unite all the pieces 
Um, and the theme we settled on was home, which we felt was a sort of interesting sort of avenue for exploration, lots of potential sort of interpretations. Um, you know, if, if we ask, what does home mean to you? I expect we get a variety of answers, which is kind of what happened. Um, we essentially sent a call out uh, across our social media channels in January, asking for people to submit uh, writing. So obviously Pitchy Breath um, champion new writing. We love giving people opportunity to share their work with us. And um, we were really, really like overwhelmed um, the amount of submissions we received. It was lovely. Lots of people out there who either were existing writers who had things that they thought might work or um, writers who had never done anything before, um, formerly for a theatre company. Um, we received poems from poets, spoken word artists. Um, so yeah, we've been really, really excited um, with the types of uh, material that's been submitted. And of course it made it really hard to select, right? We couldn't include absolutely everything, um, but we've managed to sort of whittle it down um, and balance out the content sort of in terms of mood and tone. And we've come up with sort of 10 really interesting pieces, I think, um, sort of varying lengths and sizes. Um, and so it'll be an evening of short plays, monologues, poetry, um, sort of told from different perspectives and different walks of life. Um, and hopefully it'll be a really exciting evening of entertainment for everyone. I certainly think it will be. It always is with Pitchy. I love, I love the way that Pitchy always tries to push the boundaries as well. It does, it's not afraid to try new things, new concepts. Yeah, absolutely. I'd say that there's some really lovely sort of more traditional pieces within, within this production. But as always with Pitchy, there are some surprises in there. Uh, there are some interesting interpretations on the theme. And um, yeah, I think there's going to be something for everyone, certainly. Definitely. Uh, now, um, one thing I wanted to touch on as well is the fact that, that a lot of these, a lot of these new shorts in your new production are um, being directed by uh, people making that step from acting to directing. I, is that an easy step to take? Gosh, what a question! I think different people would give you different answers. Um, I think in this production, there's probably, I say, maybe forty percent. 50% um, maybe of the directors that we have in our team um, who are new to directing for Pitchy. Um, and we're really keen to give people that opportunity to sort of spread their wings a bit and try something new. Generally, these are people who have acted before, um, sometimes with us, sometimes not, um, who want to try sort of looking at the production from a different angle, um, if you like. So I can think of one, for example, Sally, our lovely Sally, um, she's performed with Pitchy for a very long time and I'm sure she won't mind me saying that with directing it's something she's always wanted to do but she's never quite felt you know confident to take that leap so a shorts project like this is a perfect opportunity for someone like her to try it out and see how it feels and also with a large team behind the production there's plenty of sort of space to be mentored and supported throughout it um, so I know it's something that Sally's been really sort of grateful to get the opportunity to do and we've been really excited and sort of proud to see her develop as well. So I think it's going to be a really lovely result. It certainly will. Now, um, you're also collaborating uh, with Diverse Crawley as well for this one. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, the partnership that we've sort of been talking about for a while and a huge shout out goes to Carolyn, Carolyn Murphy, who has sort of helped us coordinate all of this. Um, and the submissions that we received from the Diverse Crawley group were really interesting and inspiring and I think we're, we're very excited to be working with them. Um, a few of these people have sort of little to no stage experience but felt that they had sort of a special story to share. Um, and how do you, if you're someone who's never acted before or really taken part in any kind of theatrical production, how do you get that story sort of heard? Um, so we've got a small team uh, working with our, with our, with our chaps from um, Diverse Crawley who are helping them with performance sort of skills and stagecraft and also looking at how we can add sort of more traditional theatrical devices um, to their writing and sort of bring it from the page to the stage. Um, I would really recommend people, if you haven't checked out Diverse Crawley, to go and look at the work they do. Um, I think it's really important and... Um, it's, um, they've got a website which I'll mention, um, which is uh, diversecrawley.org.uk. Um, it's really fascinating the work they're doing. 
um, particularly at the moment as we're sort of coming out of COVID um, and sort of rebuilding community and looking at culture. Um, and then being part of the production is just, it's, it's a really exciting, um, really exciting avenue that we're hoping to continue sort of exploring in the future. I'm sure you will. So um, it's on the 13th to the 15th of April, 7.45, always pitchy time, 7.45. <laughs> Uh, here at the Horth, how can people get the tickets? So you can book directly with the Horth on their website, and that's www.horth.co.uk. Uh, tickets are £14 or £12 for concessions, so that's over 60s with students, and you're going to get a really great night of entertainment for that. Um, the studio space at the Horth is a really lovely environment, it's really intimate, um, so you're sort of up close and personal with the actors. Um, and yeah, I would just really encourage anybody who is looking for something a little bit different, a variety of entertainment, um, and if you're looking to support sort of a local uh, community organisation, um, I'd really encourage you to come down. We, we really value the support from everyone. Definitely. And if anyone comes along and has a look and thinks, oh, I quite like this, I really want to get involved, then they can. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we're on Facebook, uh, Twitter, Instagram and our website, pitchybreath.co.uk. Um, please reach out to us. We're always looking for people who are either interested in writing, directing or performing. Um, we have our two main productions throughout the year, generally in April and November. And then we have workshops throughout the year as well. And the thing to note about Pitchy Breath is that it's free to play. Um, so lots of local organisations, uh, they might charge a subscription or a membership fee throughout the year. We don't do that. Um, so if you're someone who doesn't have the most time in the world, you know, we deal with a lot of parents, people in full-time working, you know, jobs. Um, the, the thing with Pitchy Breath is that you can pop along for one or two events or you can be in everything if you want. Um, so we would encourage you to reach out, get in touch and come along and see what we're all about. Lauren Fielding from Pitchy Breath talking there to Paul Tolmy. Home is playing from the 13th to the 15th of April at the Horth in Crawley. For more details and to book tickets, visit horth.co.uk. That's horth.co.uk. We'll post a direct link on Twitter at SundayReview107 and on facebook.com forward slash SundayReview107. On Wellbeing Weekly on Tuesday, Carrie Overton spoke to Janie Perry, who runs Happy Bean Nutrition and Wellbeing Solutions, about the diverse work she does. Um, so I'm a qualified as a naturopath, a nutritional therapist, uh, well-being coach, uh, yoga teacher, and I've also done reflexology. So I generally combine all of those tools and I specialise in um, supporting people with chronic exhaustive conditions. So what exactly do you mean by chronic exhaustive conditions? Okay, so uh, it's quite a combination actually. So mainly it's sort of ME, chronic fatigue, post-viral fatigue. Um, fibromyalgia comes under that mm. as well, as well as long COVID now. So that's mm. the new one that we're also working with. Because those sorts of conditions, and I have friends who suffer with some of those conditions, and there can be a real lack of understanding about what they are and treatment available to them. So so what's your experience of, of dealing with those sorts of conditions? Certainly, yeah. There is, um, I think they're very com can be quite complex conditions yeah. and often the medical profession gets quite confused about how to treat it. Um, it's also very difficult for them in 10 minutes when something is very chronic and complex of, of how the medical profession can handle that. So, um, so I work really with a team of practitioners. So nutrition is definitely a big part, um, but it's kind of one of eight parts that we look at of people's um, well-being. Uh, we call it the, the eight key elements, really, for them recovery. Um, I work alongside uh, the Chrysalis Effect program. They have an online program to support uh, recoveries, and that's a nine-month program. Mm -hmm. um, it's really, really supportive. It's a self-coaching program. Um, so it's wonderfully positive and really helps people to uh, shift their mindset mm -hmm. and really believe in recovery, and that's possible because that is a message that isn't delivered um, generally. However, I'm a walking example of that. So I had post-viral fatigue myself about 15 years ago and right. fully recovered from that. So what can you, do you mind sharing your experiences of what happened to you when you became ill? 
Certainly, yeah, always kind of, I hope it's sort of an inspiration for others who mm. are ill, mm. and this is why I'm really, really passionate about my work and, and feel it's, you know, it's part of my purpose, you know, that's mm. why I got ill, and, uh, you know, part of my purpose of what I have to offer um, many of my clients. Um, I think I'd, I'd uh, travelled in my sort of mid to late 20s, come back from that, and clearly wasn't quite right, having quite a lot of digestive issues, and... Uh, my immunity wasn't working particularly well and I just kept getting ill, kind of get getting colds and flus and viruses and then it kind of got worse and worse and sort of to the point of getting pneumonia viruses each winter for quite a long time, about mm. a month at a time and then started to take longer and longer off work to needing to recover. So and that eventually sort of led into post-viral fatigue, which is kind of like having flu all the time really. Gosh. It's not, you know, not, not pleasant. Um, it's a really heavy fatigue. Uh, so it's not a nice place to be in, um, and I see it that the, the body has um, has got very, very depleted for various you know, various reasons, and and I can talk about my you know, what 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 sort of we uncovered in in my own recovery journey, um, but everybody's story is obviously mm. quite different on that. Um, so I was very thankful. I was studying nutrition at the time when I got ill and was directed to a naturopath who did um, live and dried blood analysis. And from that tool, um, we kind of found some causes as to why my body wasn't working so well. So I very likely picked up parasites when I was traveling um, and also sort of had a very acidic system um, and had some heavy metal toxicity as well. So it was various factors kind of going on underlying, underneath the surface almost that wasn't... Um, wasn't obvious from blood tests and things like that. Um, so I followed quite sort of strict protocols for, for a couple of months um, and, and I've, I've also did some emotional work as well through mm. coaching, actually, mm. Carrie. So uh, mm. um, it took me probably about two years to, to fully recover. Mm. Um, but I am, yeah, really pleased to say that my body, as everybody's body is able to heal, we have natural self-healing within mm. us, so... That's amazing. And, and like you say, really in inspiring for people who maybe are experiencing some sort of chronic fatigue at the moment. So, Janie, you were saying about this blood work that you do. Can you explain a bit more about what that is? Sure. Yeah. So um, it's called live and dried blood analysis. And it's basically um, you do a very non-intrusive. It's just one finger finger prick, um, kind of similar to if you were testing your um checking your blood for f blood sugars or anything like that. So it's just a, a little finger prick of blood from the finger. And I put that onto two slides, one looking at the live uh, blood and one allowing it to dry, various dots allowing that to dry. Um, so then I look at that under the microscope and the microscope is connected to my screen. So then um, the client can see that as well. We talk through the findings or an anomalies, we call it, um, so what what's in the blood that maybe shouldn't be in the blood? Um, so like what sort of things might be in the blood that shouldn't be there? So, for example, we could see parasites in the blood. Um, you can see worms, bacteria, yeast, things Ooh. like that that we don't really want to be in the blood. Uh, if you think that the red blood cells are pretty minute, um, so we're looking at the quality of the red blood cells and the white blood cells and then things that are in the plasma that maybe we don't want to be there. So it's a very different approach. It's quite, um, yes, it's a very different way of looking at things. We're not counting red blood cells. And it's all useful information from like a full blood count we might get done with the doctor. Um, we're looking at the quality of the blood. Mm. And if we think about um, the, the blood, it's, it's running through every single vein and artery of our body. It's nourishing every single cell and organ in the body. So if the blood is in a healthy state, that normally reflects in the health of the cells mm. and then the health of the person. So, yeah, we, we've obviously di diverted in, into the emotional side, which obviously has an impact internally. It can't not because we are all one person. Mm. Um, but I love the tool, the, the blood analysis tool, because it gives me a lot of information. Mm. Um, and as a naturopath, I'm looking at what is below the surface and what's the underlying causes there. And by addressing those, then we can often, you know, enable the, the body to come back into balance and back into health. And that's what we're looking for. How could I improve the quality of my blood? <laughs> <laughs> OK, yeah, good question, Carrie. So ba basics, the first is obviously looking at food. So this is where I what would I recommend 
<clears throat> after uh, saying a consultation with the live and dry blood analysis I would then make a, you know recommendations and the top one is always food um, looking at what um, maybe food changes that you could make to help improve um, the quality of what you're putting into the body which is obviously going to be nourishing yeah every single cell yeah. and the blood um, of, of your that's in your body so food is always the first uh, first step um, obviously looking at lifestyle factors as well and then my tools as a nutritional therapist is is looking at nutritional supplements um, I often say to clients um, if you've got a deficiency of something then if you if you think about if you had a really big hole in the garden I don't know something fell out the sky <laughs> and it, you know, you've ended up with this big crater in your garden you're not going to fill that just by sweeping the leaves into it right you need a delivery, you know, mm. you kind of need a delivery to fill the hole and then hopefully you can maintain that with you know, looking after the lawn, the grass, whatever it is. So the same in the body, if you've got deficiency, you can fill that, that gap with the supplementation and then hopefully maintain that with the food um, right. changes that we're you know, obviously aimed to educate on. So the supplements wouldn't be something you would take forever and ever and ever, it's that filling the hole. Yeah, that's the idea. Yeah. And supplements. I like that analogy. It's good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think that kind of often helps to put a picture. Yeah. I'm, I'm very uh, picture person, yes. so puts a picture in your head of why supplementation is sometimes needed. Uh, I also use sort of cleansing processes that may be needed for the elimination organs. So the key ones being the bowel and the liver, um, the kidneys and the skin also. Mm. Um, but for example, if someone's congested in the bowel, then they're holding on to toxicity. Um, and waste that needs to come out mm. and the body then uh, ends up sort of almost auto-toxicating itself mm. not sure if that's a word um, <laughs> but it makes <laughs> but you sense know what I, mean. I know what you mean <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah so so that's some of the processes we, we may need to, to take so for example if someone did have uh, to, you know, particular bacteria or yeast or parasite in the body um, then we would potentially do some sort of anti-parasitic protocol for example um, with something I did as part of my healing um, and then some gut sort of gut mm. work really to get help the gut to get back into balance and it often has a knock-on effect on immunity um, reason being we have 80% of our immune cells reside in the gut lining and this is why gut health is so important mm. to any condition mm. uh, completely, but especially in the chronic exhaustive conditions. Um, often the gut work helps people to sort of move forward um, and to, to start to feel a bit better, maybe mm. to enable them to do some of the deeper work that might be needed as mm. well. Janie Perry talking there to Carrie Overton. You can hear the full interview on meridianfm.com. Just click on the Listen Again option under the on-air menu. For more information about the work Janie does, visit happy-bean.co.uk. That's happy-bean.co.uk. We'll post the link on Twitter at SundayReview107 and on facebook.com forward slash SundayReview107. Earlier this week, Paul Tolmey also spoke to Richard Jones. The military magician has been wowing audiences all over the globe with his incredible illusions, trickery and sleight of hand. And now audiences in East Grinstead will get a chance to see it for themselves this coming Friday. Paul started by asking him about the moment that started it all. The winner of Britain's Got Talents 2016 is... A moment does it does it feel like seven years ago that moment you know what i've done a lot since it does feel like quite a long time ago now but i i forgot how long that, that pause was between yeah. them saying and the winner is yeah. and then my name god I, I don't remember it being quite as long as that i, that d I, I didn't moment. i didn't edit that that was about it was about 12 seconds but i guess it feels like they a love lifetime. to drag it out they yeah do. they love to build that suspense got they my do. i was in uh, yeah a lot of pain waiting for that moment what what what's it like when when that in that moment because you're on the arguably the biggest biggest one of the biggest shows in the in the in the world really I mean Britain's Got Talent is is huge and you, and you're the you're the you are the one how how does that feel? Well, I always remember so in that moment uh, when when we come out onto the stage that final moment where they're going out to win it mm. is. Um, 
it's quite surreal because I, I always remember because I've always been a huge fan of the show so I always remember every year watching that exact moment on TV and it was quite surreal being on the stage and uh, and then obviously when I was announced the winner the, the most thing that was that, that was going through my mind and I think that's so special is knowing that so many people out out and about in the country that I'd never met had gone out of their way to help me get to that moment yeah. and they'd voted for me it's such a lovely feeling uh, so yeah I'll always be grateful to everyone who watches the show I, I remember watching it. I was I was fascinated because it it, it brought a new it brought a new angle and, and appreciation for magic because it wasn't just you know it wasn't just the cards or the or the you know other or other different different types of magic. Th- these were huge, proper massive illusions, weren't they? Yeah. So I, I I mean I always find that magic is for me. I I find magic is most special when it, it's it's not just a flashy, uh, like a magician kind of showing off, saying, look what I can do. Mm. I, I, I much prefer magic that has a story and a connection to, to the audience. So so whenever I go on and do, especially when I do TV, I always try to, to find a connection that everyone will resonate with. So try try to tell powerful stories. And a lot of my tour show is, is based around some of the experiences that I've had in the 12 years of my Army career. Uh, where I learned big things and, and, and went through difficult situations and how I overcame it. And, and I used magic to kind of help demonstrate that story, which I, I think kind of helped me feel a little bit more unique that my own spin of magic is connected to uh, how, how I've been trained in the military and the experiences I've had and, and uh, how they've helped show, shaped me as a person. So that's, that's kind of my, my little angle on magic, it kind of makes me feel a little bit different um, to everyone else. Everyone has their own unique uh, niche, and mm. yeah, being the military magician is mine. And of course, you've now got the uh, pretty prestigious gold star, the, the, the highest uh, rank of the Magic Circle. Yeah. Oh, so, so when I joined the Magic Circle originally, that was I think it was 2014, but in the Magic Circle, we have a headquarters in London. I can't tell you where. Go on, you know what? No one, no it, one. It's only me and you here. No one, no one else oh. here. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you on a little secret. It is in London, and it's just like Harry Potter. And, and what I mean by that is, it's down a really dark alley that you wouldn't necessarily go down unless you knew what was down there. So no one ever just stumbles across the magic circle because it is quite hidden, tucked away. North, north but, or um, south of the river. Uh, I can't tell you, but what I can tell you is in the Magic Circle, there's lots of different levels. So so when you first join, you become a member of the Magic Circle, and then you can do exams and to kind of become a, a slightly senior magician within the Magic Circle. And uh, and then right at the very top is a member of the Inner Magic Circle, which is uh, you have to be invited by uh, the president himself to be promoted to that level. And uh, And there's a secret area within the Magic Circle, right at the very top of the building, where uh, there's, there's a big door and it says um, Inner Magic Circle members only. And I remember when I first joined, all I ever wanted to know is, wow, what is behind that door? It's like, it's like a door to Narnia or something like that. So I, was, I spent many years wondering what was behind it. No one really knows what's behind it. And then when I won Britain's Got Talent, they made me a member of the Inner Magic Circle. And uh, the first thing I did was I went straight to the Magic Circle the next week and uh, went through that door. And do you know what was behind there? Go on. Can't. Can't tell you. No, not as much. But it, it was very magical. It was just like Narnia, and it was amazing. So if you're ever at the Magic Circle, we do open up the doors a few times in the year for public performances where we invite guests along uh, to come and join in and, uh, and see some magic. We've got our own theatre in there. Uh, but you, it's quite difficult. You, it's, uh, you really have to know a magician to know when those shows are on uh, and, and to be uh, allowed to come along to see it. But it's very special. We have a museum as well and the world's biggest magic library in there. So it's a very special place. I'm sure it is, and I'm very deserving of your place there. But one place people can come and see you, uh, with no limits at all, apart from having a ticket, obviously, is uh, the Cheddar Mead, because you're going to be on your uh, UK tour and rolling in there next Friday. Yeah, I, I'm really excited to be in the Cheddar Mead. Uh, I believe it's next Friday at the 14th. And then uh, from then on, we're going all over the country uh, between now and the end of... May, so we're we're going to be on the road road the entire time. Really looking forward to it. Got lots of new exciting uh, stories and magic within the show. It's very interactive as well. So anyone who comes along to the show, I like to feel like even if they don't come on stage, they'll feel really involved from from where they're sat. And it's uh, yeah, it's a family friendly show, so there's there's no age restrictions. Everyone's welcome. And uh, yeah, can't wait. Literally, we're planning and uh, doing all our last minute bits today as it goes.
Brilliant. Well, we're very grateful for you uh, taking the time to chat to us. Um, I think you're also doing a, uh, a slightly smaller VIP uh, experience beforehand. Yeah, so I so we always do a little VIP meet and greet before. So what, what that involves is so the main show usually starts at half seven, so uh, people tend to arrive about seven. Uh, but the, for VIP ticket holders, if, if anyone wants to come along and, and get involved in a little bit more of an intimate experience, uh, uh, people will arrive at six if they're VIP ticket holders. And then between quarter past six and about ten to seven, uh, they'll be with me. We always limit it maximum to 20 people, so it'll, it'll be a nice small group. Uh, I'll do a little close-up magic show for them, uh, really involving everyone there. Uh, I'll give them signed posters, and we'll do photos, and got a few stories to tell them as well. So, And also, they, they get the best seats in the house as well. So if anyone wants to come along and, and uh, have a bit more of a personal experience, come along early, get a VIP ticket, and, uh, and we'll have some fun before the main show starts. In, in the confines of a theatre, Richard, I suppose in, it, it must be slightly different to TV, but it's still going to be absolutely spectacular. Oh, absolutely. There's actually far more we can do in a theatre than, than TV. Yeah. TV's a little bit tricky because uh, there's so many limitations on what you can and can't do on TV and um, and, and also what the timings-wise. The, the thing that's most tricky about Bring Your Talent is you usually only get about three to four minutes yeah. to kind of prove yourself in a spot. Whereas uh, I believe for magicians and comedians that... that Part of, the, part of the thing that makes it so powerful what we do is, is that we can build up a big story to a big climax. And so, so actually, uh, I, I find doing theatre shows much more rewarding because I, I feel like I can do I, the things I want to choose. It's all, all the things I, I want to do, we get to do in the theatre show. So we, there's no limits at all. It sounds incredibly intriguing. So very much looking forward to that. So uh, and then uh, what, what's next for you after the tour? Uh, so, so we're pretty busy, yeah, all the way to the end of May with a tour, and then after that, uh, well, I'll pr- in all honesty, I'll probably need a week off after the tour because we're, yeah, we're, yeah, uh, we're I'd, I'd busy. Imagine so. But then, uh, yeah, throughout the year, so I, I do a lot of uh, performances, like after dinner shows for big corporate functions mm. and that kind of stuff. So, so that keeps me busy throughout the year. But I always try to dedicate at least two months every year to theatre tour shows because, in in a, in a way, it kind of feels nice to be performing around the country for the people who helped me get to where I am today. It's kind of nice that kind of nice to a lot it, of people it, who voted for me. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people who voted for me and helped me get to where I am now come along to the show, so that's always lovely. And also it's nice. I get a lot of military families. Um, very often their loved ones are overseas somewhere and they, they come along to the show and, and, and tell me they're part of the forces family and that, that's always nice to have a chat with them. So, so, so the theatre shows is what I enjoy most. So... Uh, yeah, and we're, we, we'll do a new show every year, so we'll be back on the road again, hopefully the same venues at some point next year. Um, yeah, so we're pretty busy throughout. Richard Jones chatting there to Paul Tolmy. An evening with Richard Jones is at the Checkermead Theatre in East Grinstead on Friday the 14th of April at 7.30pm. For tickets and further information, visit checkermead.org.uk. That's checkermead.org.uk. And that's it for the latest edition. We've got all the information on the features you've heard today on Twitter at SundayReview107 or on facebook.com forward slash SundayReview107. I'll be back on air next Sunday morning from 10am on 107 Meridian FM or on meridianfm.com or you can download the latest podcast. Until then, take care and have a great week ahead.